Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friends, welcome to this week's Upfront Moment. This week I am joined by Susie Redding, a chartered psychologist, a qualified yoga teacher, a personal trainer and author of not one but nine books. With a career spanning 13 years in competitive sport, Susie competed as a figure skater in Australia before moving to London and opening a thriving wellbeing consultancy. Susie combines her technical qualifications with her own life lessons to equip women with the tools of self-care we need to help us weather and recover from periods of stress, loss and change. In this conversation, we talked about energetic bankruptcy. We talked about advocating for yourself the way you would advocate for your child. We talked about selflessness. We talked about the relationship between confidence and our nervous system We talked about the absence of ambition and how fundamental community is to growth and development. I left this conversation feeling way more centred and grounded than I had been at the start of the conversation, which was really lovely. And I'm sure you will get that and much more. Enjoy. So Susie, so happy to have you here on Upfront Moment. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Lauren. It's a joy. So I'd love to know what drew you to specialising in the self-care work that you do around mind and body. Let's start there. Super. Okay. So my work has always revolved around nourishing people and empowering them with their own nurturing toolkit. So I I originally trained as a a psychologist. The part-time job that I had as, as I was going through university was working as a personal trainer that then led me to doing yoga teacher training qualifications. So it's always been about healthy habits, but it was my life experience of becoming a mum at the same time as effectively losing my dad to motor neuron disease that that actually led me first to the concept of self-care, which do you know what I actually find staggering? So in six years of study as a psychologist, we were never introduced to that concept. I mean, granted, Mm -hmm. we're talking like this is over 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. but you would have thought that that would be an integral part of our training in that caregiving role. So that's where I first came across the the concept. And I guess it was that lived experience of, you know, the, the best description I can give of how I felt in that collision of life events is energetic bankruptcy, where I was acutely aware of what was required of me. And I knew I needed to dig deep to to find the resources to meet the needs, you know, to take care of my dad, to to be there for my mum, to mother my sweet little firstborn. But all of the things, and I would say all of the things that I would normally do to nourish myself, just didn't hit the sides anymore. Like they it wasn't what I needed or it wasn't accessible. It wasn't just wasn't possible. I didn't have the energy to do that stuff. But of course, in that that headspace of incredible exhaustion and, and fatigue and overwhelm, it's really hard 
to put your finger on alternatives. And I was very lucky to work with a postnatal depression counsellor and hand on heart, I don't know whether it was PND, I don't know whether it was grief or just sheer exhaustion, but um, in partnership with her, we co-created a nourishing toolkit where little by little it was rolling out my yoga mat and having a sleep on it. I did that for months. That's what I needed. That's what I needed. And and as my energy returned, the practices evolved and and that's that's why I've spent the last decade writing about this evolving self-care toolkit that can nourish us when when life is smooth, but equally a different toolkit in the midst of stress, loss and change. And how has the work because obviously you have supported hundreds maybe thousands I'm sure of women over those years and worked closely in groups and in one-to-one settings and obviously through your books like how has the way that you have shared your work with others impacted how you apply your own practice to yourself Mm, okay I think in working with others I've become really aware of the barriers that people face and these are barriers that I face as well. In fact, as I'm a normal, fallible human being and I struggle with the same things that everyone else does. But those barriers are largely on the surface of things, time, energy, expense, the freedom to do these things. But the, the biggest one is guilt. Mm. The biggest one is guilt. So I've become really skilled in, in little micro-practices that I can weave into my day. And that's what I love sharing with other people. But do you know what? It goes so much deeper than that because even when I share with others these accessible practices, these tiny little things that we can do in 10 seconds, in five minutes here or there that are doable, so many people still don't do it because we don't feel it's okay for us to do it. Mm. And it's, it's, not just, it's not just self-worth that's the barrier. It's, it's actually this belief that we must be selfless to be a valuable human being. So this is where my work is leading me. And it's in conversation with other people and understanding how I feel about, gosh, is taking care of myself? Is it selfish? Is, is what is the opposite of selflessness? It, do you know what? It's not selfish. It's boundaried. It's a healthy honoring of self. It's self-expression. It's the right to feel all of our emotions. So this has sort of been the latest thread of my work and it's been in in conversation with other people and understanding where these um, barriers lie that's, that's, that, that's led me to this understanding of the issue is selflessness and we need to rewrite the script. And I think that's potentially where our work comes together in a nice Venn diagram because of course the work that we do at Upfront is very focused on confidence so themes around selflessness and guilt and this these barriers to prioritizing ourselves our relationship with boundaries you know all of those things are very big themes in the work that we do and I'd love to hear from you like, where do you think lack of confidence comes from? I love that question. I think so many people associate confidence with something that happens in our heads. 
mm. right? It's like it's a, it's a mode of thought. And uh, there's an element of that that's absolutely true. But I see confidence as feeling like we have a right to take up space. We have a right to be here. And that's not just something that's a thought pattern. That is an embodied experience. I've come to see confidence as a, it's a manifestation of the head, the heart, and the body. Okay, So it's how we speak to ourselves. It's how we feel about ourselves. It's connecting with our strengths. It's connecting with our values. Um, I don't think that we can be confident if we're not aligned. So it's really essential that we know ourselves. We know what matters to us as human beings. But it's also a state of nervous system functioning. How can we feel confident and poised and ready? You know, the courage to be vulnerable mm-hmm. if we're in self-defense mode, if we're if we don't feel safe. So it's it's also a function of how we breathe, how we move our bodies, our posture, how we even, you know extend touch towards ourselves can we do that with tenderness can we do that with care and I think that's where the seeds of confidence lie in that tenderness in that self-knowledge in that values-led action yeah and I think your point about the nervous system is one that is so true but often not really talked about you know we don't really hear those two things come up together in conversation and I love a post that you shared that always stuck in my mind around, you know, you can't be confident and be this person who's self-developing and working on yourself if you are absolutely exhausted. Like those two things don't match. And there seems to be a trend that I think, you know, women are impacted by more than men, which is this message from society that we must be in this continual phase of betterment in this continual cycle of self-development and that we must always be in a state of confidence and I think that's quite harmful what are your thoughts on that yeah it's just not possible is it when you look at growth and evolution there's this sense of what I've seen is there are cycles there's a sense of we're growing, we're coming into our own, and then there's a little lull. And it's kind of like it doesn't feels like there's nothing happening. But in actual fact, it's just we're just preparing for the next cycle of growth. And I just think that the fallow time, space in between, liminal space, rest, time to be vulnerable, time to sort of not quite know what what's mm-hmm. next, but also an absence of striving, an absence of ambition. All of these things are absolutely integral. You know, nothing... Nothing can be, we, we can't be held for leather 24-7. It's just, it's not, it's not humanly possible. And the depletion that comes from that constant striving, really, you know, the fact is our depletion serves no one and our no. replenishment serves everybody. So we need to give ourselves the time and space to feel, to sift and sort, to you know, sometimes allow a little course correction because variables mm. are, evolve and it's sometimes we need to actually go this way, but we need to take our time getting there. You know, it's. That's yeah. how I feel about that. The phrase uh, absence of ambition is, I feel like that's pushed a button in me somewhere because I agree with you very much. But then when I think about what would that look like or have I, do I ever have that? What would it feel like to decide? Let's do it right now. Okay. Okay. An absence of effort, an absence of striving, you know, an absence of ambition. 
let's just take a little moment to, to just pause, a little purposeful pause. And I want to give people a choice. Now, do what feels good to you. Maybe it's very tenderly placing your hands across your heart and pausing there. Nothing to achieve here. Nothing fancy required. Just notice how that feels. That's one option. Another option is to take hold of one thumb. Just wrap one hand around one thumb and just feel the sense of containment. Let your hands just rest in your lap. There's something really soothing about that. And with this gesture, what we're saying to ourselves is that we can be our own safe place. Mm. That's option two. And then option three, and this one's my favorite. It's my personal favorite. Cup your chin in your hands. Yep. Cup your chin in your hands. Just allow your eyes to close. If that feels good to you and it's safe to do that, let your chin ever so slightly nestle downwards. And just feel the sensation of being held, reminding yourself that you are deserving of tenderness. And all that love and care that you so generously and effortlessly give everyone else, you can extend a little of that inwards. Nothing to achieve, just a moment to breathe and to bear witness and to be gentle with ourselves. And then if we blink the eyes open, take a moment to reset come back in the room oh that was nice thank you i like the thumb one the best yeah interesting i love that's how i watch telly you know i just come into that gesture and with these things you know you're not just you're not just slapping your hands on your heart we're imbuing it with compassion Mm when the whole point of it is to check in it's Mm -hmm. to notice to connect with our needs because we're told from birth get on with it yeah, there's this real sort of celebration of resilience. And we sort of think of resilience as like being unaffected by life. And it's such a nonsense. It's yeah. so unhealthy. Yeah. We need these opportunities to check in so that we can listen out for the whisper. Mm-hmm. Listen out for the whisper of what the mind and body is saying, sweetheart, please, can we slow down? Can you do this? Can you say no to that? Because if we don't listen to the whisper, that's when the shout from the mind or body is literally going to stop us in our tracks. And the intervention that's required at the shout, whether that's illness, injury, burnout, conflict in a relationship, that stuff requires so much more time and energy to set straight than if we just took gentle, compassionate action at the whisper. Yeah. It's that thing of you have to listen to those messages or you'll be forced, you won't have any choice because your body will decide for you. And I'm sure everybody listening has a version of that in their own life or with somebody that they love. And, you know, there will be people listening who are feeling stuck, feeling that their confidence is not in a great place. They want to make change, but they're tired and it's overwhelming and... You know, then there's the wider context of the world, which is also very overwhelming. You know, the from the climate crisis right through to what's happening in our political landscape. There's so many things. Like, what would you say to the woman that's listening in that place right now? I hear you. I see you. Yeah. All of my toolkits have come from that lived experience of energetic mm. bankruptcy. I get it. I totally get it. I know how it feels to sort of just 
stop the world. I want to get off. It, it wasn't even a matter of give me an extra day in the week and I'll be right. It was just like, I, I just am fried. What I would say is rather than thinking about another stress management coping tool or heaping on the criticism that we do, you know, saying to ourselves, I should be stronger, I should be coping with this better, mm. look at what X, Y, and Z has got to deal with, you know, and mm-hmm. giving ourselves grief. I would say, please nourish yourself, be tender with yourself, because from that, there is a natural resurgence of more constructive thinking. Yeah. That actually, we don't need to fix necessarily. We just need to re-energize yeah. and replenish. And then naturally, all of those things that we normally do effortlessly bounce back into function. So the priority is replenishment. And that doesn't mean necessarily go for a walk or listen to a, you know, the latest TED talk, because sometimes those things require energy to mm-hmm. get something out of them. I'm talking, we need an effortless receipt of light and life. I'm talking, sit on a park bench and watch the moving cloudscape. Imagine if it's a sunny day, imagine a cord from the sun right to the crown of your head and you are literally being topped up moment by moment with that that light. You know, it's listen to a piece of music that you find moving or uplifting. Mm -hmm. Use your senses. Yeah, this is like being held. Yeah. And yeah. and I think it's so important also that that people feel understood and that there's a safe place to give voice to your feelings because I'd say that the pivotal point in my healing journey was being told, sweetheart, of course you feel as you do. Oh, okay. And then the healing could continue, you know? Yeah, I always remember one of the most powerful things a therapist said to me was, you make sense to me. And that was, you know, therapy related to birth trauma and difficult baby stuff. And I just, I've always, always kept that phrase in mind as an anchor for my own parenting and how I always want my son to feel. I always want him to feel that he makes sense to me. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And parenting is also a really big theme in your work. And I know that you... I feel like you're able to talk in very plain English, simple, straight to the heart of the issue. I think you have a real gift for that because it it is complicated. You know, being human is complicated. Being a parent is complicated. You know, all the other intersections and identities that we might layer on top of that. But what, you know, what is the, what is the, the key? Are there key messages or key things that you gift parents with like the key points that you want to give to parents I guess mothers in particular through your work hearing you talk about what you want to give your son I would love for every parent to give the same things to themselves because they're basic human needs they are that's what we need to be able to function you know but I also understand you know, when we become parents, we're in such need of support and sustenance. And yet it's a time of life when it can feel the most impossible. Yeah. So it's just, it's about understanding that there are things that we can do, but it's also, it's not about shouldering our burden alone. And I think if there's one thing that becoming a mum has taught me, it's around boundaries. 
Mm-hmm. And as my kids got older and, you know, navigating social interactions and, you know, being at a playground and thinking, oh, I have to advocate for my child here. My gosh, it's really yeah. hard. But in doing that, in becoming this lioness mama, being able to advocate for my kids, I realized, geez, I've got to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. I have to advocate for myself as a human being. And if I'm not modeling that, how can I expect them to understand that other people have needs? Yeah, to raise compassionate, aware, insightful human beings, but also to show them how we gently and kindly honor our boundaries, which again flies in the face of the selfless mother ideal, doesn't it? Yes. And how do we teach our children boundaries? What's your kind of point of view on that? We're doing it all day, every day, aren't we? Mm. Sweetheart, it's time for this now. This is what we, these are the things that we do now. You know, it's, it's in action, isn't it? It's letting them know this is okay, this is not okay. Boundaries are not just in relationship with each other. It's, it's in boundaries with ourselves. This is what I need to feel safe and healthy. So, you know, I show my children a healthy modeling of the boundaries when I go out for my run of a Sunday mm-hmm. morning, even if they don't like it. Yeah, they'd rather I was doing something. It's, no, no, I, I, this is time for me now. Lovely reunion soon topping myself back up so that I can keep giving and keep going. I know it was something that was really present for me and I was really quite taken aback at how much it kind of took over my mind when I was training for the marathon I ran in summertime. And what was interesting was me and my male partner ran the marathon together. So we were both training the same amount which meant our weekends kind of changed shape a bit that we would had less you know social time with others and kind of going for adventures because as it got closer it would be he would run for three hours and I would be with our son and then I'd run for three hours and he would be with our son and when we would kind of debrief together it was so interesting that so much of my thoughts were dominated with just this like who do I think I am like this is how who how dare I just leave my family for three hours on a Sunday? Like, this is criminal, you know, even though, you know, this is the work that I do and the world that I'm immersed in and always learning more and more every day, even with all of that knowledge, I was still, you know, I noticed them and could, was observing what was happening. But to have that conversation with a man who's having the same experience, just just, just not the same, That that the guilt and the the narratives from society on like I do think there's something really specific about sport and fitness and taking time away from your family to train to be in a team to be part of a league to win competitions whatever that might be just still feels male I think and yeah it was um, I had to work extra hard to kind of drown out those voices with what an amazing thing for my five-year-old to watch me run a marathon you know to watch his mum getting stronger and stronger and faster and faster and even though you know I know all those things to be true it was still this it was it was still difficult I I I did find it hard that's so valuable sharing that experience Lauren that you were able to hold it up to the light yeah father's perspective mother's perspective and see that you know same journey but such a different 
perspective of things. And then this is the thing, we need to have a conversation. We need to talk about it because so much of us, this is sort of something we've imbibed unconsciously. And to a certain extent, we uphold it with our own narrative. Mm -hmm. We don't have to. We don't have to. We, as, yeah. as soon as we can hold it up to the light and see it for what it is, there's an opportunity. Do we keep choosing this? Mm-hmm. Does this serve us? Does it serve our families? Does it serve our children? Now, clearly it doesn't. It's a beautiful recipe for, let's be honest, misery, burnout, yeah, resentment. resentment. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, when I martyr myself, what I notice is I start to up, uh, sort of hold others to the same impossible standards mm-hmm. and I become narky and, oh. How could you be, you know, so indulgent, lying? Honestly, it's it's awful. Let's not. Let's observe it. So we've got to hold it to the light and choose. It's the power of speaking it aloud, sharing it with others, having conversation, you know, all of those things are what bring it to light. And I'm, I would love to know kind of what your thoughts are on the role that community, you know, obviously for Upfront, community and building a support network is a big part of the antidote to this toxicity that we've described how do you see community like what role does community play in people's growth and well-being do you think it's it's fundamental yeah if there's anything that we learned through the pandemic is that people need other people and thank goodness we were able to still connect virtually mm-hmm. I know. But there is a great human need for being in the room together, shared humanity. And I'm very open about, sure, I advocate for self-care, but not for a minute for a minute am I saying it's about doing it on your own. Yeah, we need the love and support of other people. We need to be held. We need to be understood. We need to be validated. We need to be cared for. And there's so much power in that sense of coming together and sharing the journey, sharing our learnings, sharing our experiences. It's its fundamental, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I really do. And what are you working on at the moment? How can our community support you, cheerlead you, anything you'd like to plug? Oh, well, I'm still on a mission to empower people with the tools of rest. So if anyone's curious about that toolkit, I've got a free download in my Instagram bio. We can, we'll put it in the show notes. Fabulous. That's got the framework from Rest to Reset, which I really hope is going to empower people with an awareness of how to meet their needs in the moment because I think that's half the battle. You might be aware of, oh, I need something, but I don't know what it is. That framework's going to help. And, um, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. I really, I want a, a new project on selflessness. So I'm just planting seeds at the moment. But that's that's the direction I'm moving in, how to unpick that little chestnut of selflessness. Oh, just say, well, I can't wait. I'm sure it will be wonderful. And I'm going to end with the question we ask all our Upfront Moment guests, which is when Upfront achieves its mission of supporting a million women with their confidence, how do you think the world will be different from your vantage point? It will be a far more compassionate place. And what more do we need? Yeah. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Susie, for your time and for all the tenderness that you generously share with the world. It's very appreciated. Enjoy, Lauren. Thank you so much. 
Hi friend, a quick note from me to tell you all about our new charity bond. On the 6th of November, we are welcoming women, staff and volunteers from charities all over the world to take part in our six-week charity bond. You can enrol as many staff and volunteers as you wish for only £1,000. We can't wait to support you. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye friend, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.